This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 84th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording once again from our own homes in Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVry. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing pretty good, Cameron. In fact, I'm doing great, because that's how I always am, right? Um, getting a little stir-crazy. We're going on week what is it like it's probably like week four 72. i think from, oh four yeah we're week 72 of working home working from home going a little stir crazy but um we're s- still being american heroes so that feels nice um how are you doing i'm doing okay i do miss sports um i sports are very fun and it's fun to watch them i could i've watched probably a hundred Mizzou basketball highlight uh, YouTube videos now in the last couple weeks. Um, Missouri National Guard uh, sponsors those videos a while back. So <laughs> get to hear Ben Arnett say something like Missouri National Guard always, always there or something like 50 billion yeah. times because I've watched so many basketball highlight tapes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, I love going back and watching Drew Locke videos. I feel like that's like probably like my favorite thing to to watch right now, just because I don't know. He's just I just love watching the ball come out of his hand, man. He was just he was a special talent, and uh, he I mean obviously still is, but um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of fun Drew Locke plays for sure at, at Missouri's, and there is a lot of those videos that you can go watch Drew, Drew Locke play. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I've been just doing basketball because I, I don't know, just getting the college basketball season being cut short, and Missouri maybe only had one game left, but college basketball in general, just the NCAA tournament, you know, we would have had a champion already, mm-hmm. and just not getting any of that March Madness. I've watched a few March Madness compilations of like good, like best finishes and comebacks and upsets and stuff like that and I don't know it just doesn't quite when when you know what happens you know when you see the the score at the bottom and you're like oh I know what upset this is or whatever it's still cool to relive it but the fact that we missed out on another march of new memories like that is always going to be disappointing yeah it's it was painful for sure as uh one of the best sporting sporting events out there. That was that was definitely a uh, very uh, a hole in my heart to to know that was that was supposed to be happening for sure. And that was like one of the that was like one of the first big dominoes to fall. I feel like of this whole coronavirus situation was like you know the NBA season uh, getting suspended and you know March Madness getting getting canceled and all that. That was when it was like really starting to I think hit general society. Like okay, wow, this is gonna get serious probably, but. So, you know, at, at a certain point, it was like, okay, obviously they're canceling this. Um, but I think when we first started hearing about it, it was like, is this, are we really going to go without March Madness? Is that really going to happen? But Yeah, I think we talked about this before back when it first happened, but I think I 
I texted everybody and was like, I, I think if the tournament happens, it'll be played without fans. And that was before the NBA season had been suspended. And part of me wishes I'd have just said, I don't think there's going to be an NCAA tournament. And you guys would have been like, oh, you're, you're crazy. Like, what? <laughs> like, that'd be so out of nowhere because it would have been. And I was kind of, that was kind of a bold prediction just saying that it'd be played without fans at the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Part of that was me also trying to find a way that stuff could go on. You know, like, yeah, just do it without fans. Everything will be fine. But yeah, and here know, we are, like, now wondering about the future of college football. And, you know, even when March Madness was canceled, you know, a month ago or whenever that was, I would never would have dreamt in a million years that we could still be talking about this thing canceling college football season. Like, you got to yeah. be kidding me. Um, so, you know, I, it seems like it's, it's, first of all, it's a long way away, but um, it seems like we've heard some more positive reports potentially in the last few days about um, the longevity of this thing and and uh, maybe uh, you know it seems like college football is most likely going to happen in some capacity um, so that's definitely good news but there's obviously more important things out there than, than college football happening but that was definitely be a positive thing. Yeah you might have to tell that to uh, some of the coaches specifically <laughs> uh, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State he doesn't seem to think that there's really anything more important which I get I I mean, that's kind of the mindset you need to have to be like the best of the best at, at what you're doing, but also just, you know. Yeah, I better just keep room. my mouth shut on Mike Gundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's officially, it would have been anyway, and it, it has been now for a little while, the official uh, basketball offseason, college basketball offseason. And so it's transfer season. I don't. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems like maybe more transfers this year than ever before. Maybe it's just being publicized more. Maybe the last three or four years have been about the same as this year. If you'd have asked me, though, I would have thought there would be fewer transfers just because maybe it'd be harder to get in touch with people. Yeah, you can't take any visits. Right. But it doesn't seem to be stopping people from entering the portal and – um, Mizzou is in on a few guys uh, that we'll talk about. Um, it's Missouri. interesting. I, I sorry to interrupt you. I, You're good. I think that's a good point that you know guys can't take visits. Um, I also think that maybe people might be banking on some kind of circumstantial thing with with traditional transfers, uh, maybe getting uh, a waiver to play immediately. Um, I think I don't. I wonder if people may be thinking that they might get a. Uh, a release to play immediately because of everything that's going on maybe not but um it does seem like there's a lot of transfers and maybe it's just because that news is so prominent right now because there's like nothing else to talk about yeah no but games to talk about i think it's in like the six or seven hundreds right now and i think that they definitely were projecting that number to even get larger which would probably be one of the, the heaviest transfer seasons yet so it's been it's been crazy but um you know, I think that five years ago, whenever we were, you know, maybe, I guess it was maybe a little bit longer than five years ago, five to seven years ago, when, when Frank Cave was building his entire roster, it seemed like with with transfers, it was probably a little over the top. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of value in adding transfers. And I think Conzo really likes uh, a, an older, more mature player and maybe a, a player that's a little bit battle tested, even if they, you know, weren't as successful as they thought they could be or or would be in their in their first spot or whatever it is but um 
I, I definitely think that the transfer there's so many great options for for additions on the transfer market and I, I think it's exciting to follow um, and sometimes you know what you're getting a little bit more maybe in a transfer than in a traditional high school recruit yeah we've got a lot more we've got film on them at a at a higher level even if they're you know even if they're a juco transfer you're at least seeing them you know in at higher competition than uh high school and you mentioned frank haith and at that same time you know you had like fred hoiberg at iowa state basically building his career around transfers you know well-timed transfers and he parlayed that into a stop in the nba um musselman who is obviously now at arkansas he has been a guy that's utilized transfers to great success in his career so yeah, and they've it's been definitely, in on everybody, it seems like. Yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. Well, this yeah, those, yeah, their names have been popping up with, like like you say, every single transfer that's been available. And that just has to be part of your of what you bring to the table as a coach. You have to be tapping into that a little bit to be successful because players are going to transfer from your program. Like, it doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how good of a coach you are. Players are going to transfer, and you need to be able to – use that to your advantage and not just be losing guys to transfer all the time. And it helps you, you know, balance out the classes and stuff like that. So yeah. And it's not going away anytime soon. So it's, it's become a part of college basketball and I think Conzo is adapting and he showed, you know, in year one, bringing in Cassius Robertson, that that's something that he would be able to do. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, swinging a miss with uh, KJ Santos, but there is some volatility there. You don't always know what you're going to get, but you got to try it a few times. And if what's the difference between swinging and missing on KJ Santos for a year and swinging and missing on um, Christian Guess? You know, what's really the difference there? Yeah. And specifically, KJ Santos was such a strange situation because, you know, he looked like such a promising prospect, like in you know, some of the lower levels. Uh, it, it almost looked like he just was a different player when it got to Missouri. I don't know if it was a confidence thing, if he just didn't feel like he had the ability to play his game, or it almost maybe seemed like his body changed a little bit, like he was like a little bit thicker than I feel like he was in some of his first like stops. And like I, I feel like I thought of him as kind of a very athletic scorer um, in his stop at Illinois, Chicago, and then. Um, Missouri I don't know he just seemed like a different player but um it's so bizarre to see how a trajectory of a player can go like that you know a guy who was very successful at a lower level going all the way up to a power five program and then literally just falling off the face of the earth and I don't think he's playing anywhere now yeah that is a weird situation there and it's like pretty much the you know obviously cash was a grad transfer so uh, not exactly the same situations but you know, just as far as a production standpoint, just about as yeah. opposite as you can yeah. get. <laughs> Pretty much. Two situations. Pretty much best case and worst case scenario. We've, we've seen them both. And I was looking back at some, uh, some notes that I was just like, sometimes I'll just jot down, you know, projected starting lineups and stuff when I'm bored. That's my uh, version of doodling, I guess. And I found one where I had, uh, I was projecting out, Instead of getting Drew Smith, I had my eye on, we've talked about this before, Ryan Taylor from Evansville as a grad transfer. And um, 
also we were in the mix with uh, Courtney Ramey and Jonte was coming back for his sophomore season, we hoped, which that actually did come true, but then we know how that ended. But I had a starting lineup, I think, of Courtney Ramey, Ryan Taylor, KJ Santos, Jonte Porter, and Jeremiah Tillman. So I had KJ as a three, and, and that was going to be, you know, the year that he kind of broke out, and then he would have still had another year of eligibility after that. So I was really excited, and I thought, you know, he even had pro potential, and then, geez, just nothing. Well, based on what he had done before he came to Mizzou, I, do, I really didn't think that that was that, that crazy to assume. And I agree. I thought he would be an instant starter from day one. Uh, let's talk about some of the transfers that Mizzou has their eye on this offseason. Obviously, we've talked about Justin Turner. Um, when you Google Justin Turner, you do get a baseball player. Missouri's not after <laughs> a, like, 35-year-old baseball Dodgers player. The third baseman. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually after a guard from Bowling Green. And uh, I don't know. Am I crazy? I think Missouri has a really good shot. I don't think you're crazy. I, I agree with you that um, it seems like right now Missouri has the best shot at, if he's going to leave Bowling Green. It almost seems like there's a better shot that – a better chance he'll stay than some of the other schools that are in his top three. So, um, you know, and it's, it's difficult. I, I don't know um, – what that situation is like whenever you're, you know, whenever you're making a, a pretty big change in your life, you know, and you can't go visit um, the school and you can't go meet the people that you're going to be spending the next year with. Uh, you can only talk over, over FaceTime or whatever it is. So um, I can see how that would be a difficult decision. Um, especially when, see, when things seem to be go, going very well for him in his current spot. So it, may, it might be a little bit risky, but um I certainly think in making the jump would probably not be a bad thing for, for his career, but um, it, it will be interesting because I think he's supposed to make that decision in the next few days. So we should be knowing pretty soon uh, what Justin Turner is going to do. Yeah, it's Friday now when we're recording this. And yeah, I think I heard Sunday or Monday uh, he'd like to make his decision public. And it just seems like a perfect fit. I mean, he doesn't, he is a good scorer with the ball in his hand for sure but he, he is not really a distributor. So when he gets the ball, he's looking to score pretty much all the time. And when you've got guys that can drive to the basket really well, at, at least we hope that they're going to be able to do that all year next year in Drew Smith and Xavier Penson. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe the shooting um, progresses a little bit to the mean in the case of uh, Mark Smith and Torrance Watson. So, a guy that can score at all three levels, you can kick it out to him. He can be driving to the basket. He can uh, finish in the mid-range. That's, I don't know, that's exactly what Missouri needs. We've talked about it a few times now, and I think he knows that. I mean, I think the staff has made that abundantly clear to him that, you know, what he brings to the table as far as a basketball player is exactly what they're looking for. So if – that's why I think that it is, I agree with you, that it's between Mizzou and Bowling Green because it doesn't seem like he's desperate to leave there. I mean, he's made it very clear every step of the way that he's definitely willing to go back there. So the fit at Missouri is what's going to pull him away from Bowling Green. I don't think there's anything else that will necessarily do that. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is this is huge for not only him, but this is huge for Missouri's outlook on next season because, uh, the, I mean, without landing Justin Turner, I still don't. And assuming we're not going to land Josh Christopher, we're still not really fulfilling that that scoring role that we've really haven't had for two seasons. You know, we kind of thought Mark Smith might be able to do that. We kind of thought Torrance Watson might be able to do that. Uh, neither one of those guys have really come through, and I'm not sure that at this point we can depend on either one of them or anyone else on the team to to do that uh, going forward. You know, the only candidate might be Xavier, Pen- Xavier Penson and Drew Smith. But, uh, you know, I think Justin Turner would, would uh, like you said, be a perfect fit um, to come in and play alongside uh, those other two guards. Um, I don't know if they would try to play all three of them at the same time. Uh, he's not super tall. I think he's 6'4", so um, he might be able to play at the three, but probably most – perfectly at the two is probably where he would spend a lot of his time um yeah it would be interesting to see how he'd work in with the rotation of the current guys but hey I don't know hey it's almost like at this point I would rather land him than Josh Christopher because I I think that they could potentially both be one season players that fill similar scoring roles and I think I almost think I, I could trust Justin Turner to come in and and score the ball more efficiently than Josh Christopher could just because we know that he's done it at the, at the uh, division one level. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, you won't hear any argument from me uh, in that regard. I think it's interesting. Um, We've been talking about Cassius Robertson uh, obviously is a parallel story to what we're trying to do with Justin Turner here. Um, He actually was, uh, Justin Turner was interviewed by CJ Moore with the athletic. And he said, he actually brought up Robertson said Cassius was in a similar situation and uh, Mizzou needed a score like that. And he came in and had a big impact. And he said, Turner is talking about Robertson. He said he loved the atmosphere, loved coach Martin and loved the relationships he built there. So they've been in contact with each other and I'm sure Cassius you know, had nothing but good things to say. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that just a couple days ago, Mizzou Athletics uh, social media published on YouTube a like 20, 25 minute interview between Conzo Martin and Cassius Robertson, just kind of reinforcing some of those same ideas. So um, when you're trying to, when you're courting a graduate transfer and you have one of the best graduate transfer success stories in the country in the last three seasons. Um, yeah, I guess go ahead and publish that, you know, get them on a little uh, zoom interview and um, just add a little fuel to the fire there. That doesn't seem like a coincidence that that happened. Oh, not at all. And honestly, from <clears throat> at least the public perception of, of how I feel like this recruiting, this recruitment of Justin Turner is gone. I, I feel like uh, Conzo Martin has done about as good of a job as he can possibly do. It seems like they've really, uh, hit on all of the the important things that a, a graduate transfer would be interested in, especially one that would come in and fill a similar role to uh, to Cassius Robertson. I think they've they've done everything they can at this point, um, and I think they've put themselves in a really really good position to land a very uh, potentially game changing recruit. So it's exciting, and uh, I'm I'm anxious to see uh, what. Justin Turner does in the next few days, but I have to agree with what you said earlier that I think Missouri's got a, a really good shot. Yeah. Yep. I'm excited for sure. Um, another transfer, 
I don't think we talked about last week was a traditional transfer guard from Michigan, uh, David DeJulius. <laughs> He's originally from Detroit. So, of course, um, he, Mizzou has been – the Mizzou staff has been in touch with him. Um, pretty much every player in the Detroit area at least is known by the Mizzou staff, but that is one that Missouri has been officially linked to him since he has entered the transfer portal from Michigan. Um, just looking at his Kempom profile, he looks like a pretty standard uh, point guard. Not, I mean, he's listed as at exactly six foot. Um, he played two seasons at Michigan. Basically didn't play at all his freshman year. Uh, 6% of minutes. Uh, that bumped up to 51% this past season. Uh, decent, decent offensive rating of 108. Uh, didn't turn the ball over much at all. Uh, didn't foul much. Um, shot 36% from three on 83 attempts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a pretty solid point guard uh, prospect, I guess. If you're looking at a guy that would sit out a year and then have two years of eligibility left. So uh, there's a lot of players in his recruitment. I don't know if you got any more information on that, but um, yeah, definitely a guy that looks like it's worth kicking the tires on and, you know, for a guy to sit one play two, looks like a pretty good fit as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Missouri's going to have to start planning for uh, life after Drew Smith and um, assuming that, uh, DeJulius, uh, or however you, pr you pronounce his name, um, w would come in if he, if he did come in. You know, he'd probably have to sit a year, and then would would uh, resume his career the year after Drew Smith um, is gone. So, um, yeah, I mean, literally, I think half of the Power Five teams are are on him. You know, it's just a a, a kind of player that everybody would want in their program. I think just a, a pretty solid and consistent point guard. Um, yeah, it would be great to uh, see if Missouri could capitalize on the Michigan connection that I'm not sure we've ever really seen work out that well, but uh, we've heard about it, and apparently it's there. Got Trey Jackson from We Michigan. got Trey Jackson, and then he left after a year, so, uh, but we did get him in the door at least once, so yeah. um, it would be great to see that Michigan connection pay dividends at some point, but um, I don't know if it'll be on this go-round. But yet another name to just have on the radar, guy to keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks. Um, speaking of Trey Jackson, did you see in Conzo uh, had like a Sky or a Zoom meeting with a bunch of media members? Uh, sadly, we weren't invited. Um, but he did mention Trey Jackson and his uh, departure, and said that they did not want him to leave by any means, but he understood that he wasn't getting the playing time that he wanted. And he said, that's a, I'm paraphrasing, obviously he said, that's kind of a challenge for recruiting um, in 2020 is when you have a freshman that's pretty talented, but maybe a little raw and they need to take some time to be seasoned a little bit. They don't want to wait and they're going to just go find another opportunity where they can have immediate playing time. So it seemed like he was kind of at peace with it, although, you know, because kind of like he was at peace with the fact that he wasn't going to give him the playing time that he wanted, um, potentially not even this next season unless some things changed. So I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a, a catch-22 for sure. Um, 
you know, you want to give those guys playing time and because they, they needed to develop, but uh, they also probably weren't playing at the level that they needed to, to be um, impactful this year. And, uh, you know, we weren't really blowing people out or anything this year. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to, there wasn't a whole lot of like margin for error, I guess. And um, we kind of needed our, our, our best players in there as much as possible. And so it just wasn't a great year to experiment with lineups a whole lot and, and get younger guys playing time just for the heck of it, I guess, if you will. And it, it's, it is, it's tough. Um, I, I think that he could have been a really good player and probably will be eventually, but and, and I, I wish that he uh, would have stuck around if the staff wanted him to, but they definitely can't be surprised um, by the fact that he just didn't play very much. So. I'm sure they right. weren't surprised. Yeah, there were other a couple other tidbits from that interview that Dave Matter tweeted out. Um, he said he was uh, commenting on the fact that Kobe Brown ordered workout equipment online and is getting in workouts <laughs> at home, and that the coaching staff have been touching base with the players and you know just making sure they're uh, doing their classes online and um, getting a little bit of a workout in, but. He kind of mentioned that it's up to the individual players right now to do the work or put in the work that they need to, uh, you know, stay sharp in several different ways. Um, he also mentioned uh, Reed Nico and how he would have loved to have him back for another year, but he agrees with the NCAA decision to not grant another full season of eligibility for uh, winter sport uh, seniors. And he said, quote, it's not like 20 games were lost. And, I think that's a pretty sensible way of looking at it. I mean, we look at the, uh, the spring sports, those seniors that are missing their entire seasons. Uh, that's a little bit different than, I mean, Reed Nico potentially missing one game. Uh, yeah. If they lose to Texas A&M, that's the only game that he would be missing in the season. Obviously, uh, seniors on teams that were going to make a deep run in March, it's or you know guys that are going pro, that's a little bit different story. But those guys that are going pro weren't going to be back anyway. Yeah, it's it's super unfortunate. There's really no way around it. But um, I just I agree that the the winter sports guys they they played most of their seasons. So uh, he also mentioned uh, that he didn't anticipate the three point shooting struggles that the that Missouri had this past season. Um, late in the year, they kind of went all in on what they call their Barcelona offense, which is a secondary offense that they weren't using as much earlier in the season. And uh, that involves more driving downhill to the bucket and then kicking out for corner threes. And I think that's been another part of the pitch for Justin Turner is that offense in particular and how he can be the one getting to the basket downhill or he can be the one ready in the corner to hit a spot up three when uh, Penson or Drew Smith are the ones driving. So uh, he talked about that being a key for Xavier Penson, um, sort of unlocking that next level for him. And then he also talked about Penson testing the NBA draft waters and how he thinks the main thing he needs to focus on is increasing his strength. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, another thought on Justin Turner. Um, you know, I think that whenever we wanted to go get Cassius Robertson a couple of years ago, it was definitely like kind of a uh, going all in for this kind of season, for, for this season kind of thing. And I definitely get the feeling that um, there, there's some of that going on with this next season too. I mean, 
we could potentially, assuming that Jeremiah Tillman and Xavier Penson come back uh, for next season, it, there's obviously we're going to lose Jeremiah Tillman no matter what. And there's a good chance that we lose Xavier Penson to, um, to a professional league, I, maybe. So, and we're definitely losing Drew Smith. So there's definitely an, an element of uh, we've got one more shot with this, with this team that Konzo I think likes. It seems like there's a lot of, a lot of guys on this roster he really likes. Um, let's try and see how well we can do kind of go all in. Yeah, I think that would have been the pitch for Josh Christopher, too, is look at, you know, some of the seniors that we have, some of the, you know, dynamic playmakers that we have, and, you know, you're that next piece of the puzzle that could put us over the edge, and that's got to be the same pitch that's been happening with Justin Turner as well. Uh, Speaking of Josh Christopher, though, I can't help but bring up some more Josh Christopher news, because there's an update, Kyle. This is a big update. He tweeted... Uh, that I can't find the exact tweet, but he tweeted that the school he will pick, he gave us a hint, has the color yellow in its color scheme. Now that's kind of interesting on a couple, uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, depending on what you call yellow, uh, every single one of his top five, his final five has yellow in it. And that's the joke. That's why he tweeted that. However, if you go look at their actual uh, color schemes, none of them have the word yellow in their color scheme. <laughs> it's all gold or uh, because of Michigan, maize. So no yellow to be found in the official color schemes. Yeah, if you look through the uh, replies of the tweet, pretty much like any you know big recruit, whenever he starts talking about school-related stuff, like literally every response is just like people like advocating for the school that they're a fan of or whatever. And on this particular tweet, I feel like a lot of people are just like, would you stop? <laughs> like, would you just pick somebody at this point? Like it's getting ridiculous. So it's just kind of funny, but um, uh, good to know. Missouri apparently still has a shot. If you consider gold to be yellow. Yeah. I mentioned on Twitter, producer camera. I don't know if you saw this. I didn't tag you in it, but I mentioned that uh, you sometimes refer to Mizzou gold as yellow. So if, if you, if we let you, I did have a pass. <laughs> well, we can give Josh Christopher a pass. I don't care if he says I would. I've decided to attend uh, Mizzou College because I love <laughs> Wiz Khalifa's black and yellow. Like I don't care if that's his reason and that's what he says. Uh, that'd be fine with me. Some people really get bent out of shape about recruits like saying like Missouri University and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if he says. College of Mizzou <laughs> University. You just want him to come here? Yeah. Well, I think that's all I have for basketball news, recruiting, uh, transfers, uh, Josh Christopher. Who's going to uh, – Justin Turner is definitely going to announce his decision before Josh Christopher, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> that, that number we heard about or that date we heard about like a month ago of April 13th is right around the corner. So maybe the same day. Three days from now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That would be something. They like yeah. both pick Missouri and Missouri's like, well, we can't take both of you. <laughs> <laughs> they have to like turn one away. No, I'm just kidding. That would not happen. Um, yeah. Justin Turner's a guy with a plan. So Josh Christopher, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a plan. So but, uh, there were a couple of football recruiting notes I had here. There's, uh, there's a ton of 2022 offers going out. 
Um, so if you're on Twitter, then you probably like have seen some of those uh, recruits tweeting out their offers and stuff like that. And I try to like or retweet retweet um, a lot of those that I see um, just so you guys can kind of get a feel of, of who's out there. Or maybe if you want to slip them a little M-I-Z or something like that, you can do that. But a lot of those offers going out. Um, one name that is kind of honestly new to me that I've heard in the last day or so uh, is a uh, – tight end graduate transfer I actually I don't know if he's a graduate transfer but he, I think he would have one season of eligibility uh he's from northern Iowa his name is Briley Moore so he's a guy that's been very successful at the FCS level looking to jump up uh he's a native of Kansas City um he played three seasons at northern Iowa had and I think he was hurt for one of his seasons so his stats probably would have been even better if he were healthy for one of those seasons but he had 83 catches for uh, about 1100 yards that's pretty good for a tight end. And um, he's down to a top three of Kansas State, Mizzou, and Baylor. And I think Coach Drinkwitz is probably uh, pitching to him that they would like to run the offense through the tight end. So <clears throat> definitely an attractive position, with, especially with uh, not great tight end depth on our roster currently, um, especially receiving a tight end. So, uh, you know, I think of Daniel Parker Jr., probably his strength is, is blocking. He can receive passes for sure, but um, definitely seems like some a good opportunity for for a guy like uh, Briley Moore to uh, come in and, and have a potential starting job. It seems like tight end is a position where you kind of just want to stockpile guys, and it seems like there's maybe quite a bit of volatility there as far as ceil- uh, floors and ceilings um, at the college level. So, yeah, just stockpiling uh, big guys who can block and catch the ball seems like a pretty good idea. Yeah, and Missouri's kind of done that, honestly. They they have a lot of bodies at tight end and not a whole lot of guys who have um, proven experience. Obviously, Albert O was, was, played a lot. Daniel Parker Jr.'s played a lot, but um, Albert O's gone. Um, Daniel Parker Jr., I'm sure, will step into that starting role, uh, but they've got about four guys, you know, on that next level uh, of guys that uh, could play a role in some capacity. Um but haven't really done anything, haven't really proven anything on the field. So um, I'm, I'm all in for sure on, on getting a, a proven tight end to, to come in potentially. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, another guy I just wanted to highlight quickly was uh, Tyson Ford. Um, he's, a, he's, a high, he's, in, he's still in high school, so he's a traditional uh, high school recruit. He's a defensive end at uh, John Burroughs High School in St. Louis. Um, <clears throat> you know, Mizzou is one of his first uh, – big offers I think it's his first SEC offer he doesn't have a ton of just big time offers yet but he's a, a talented guy that I think a lot of people think he has the chance to blow up so uh, Tyson Ford is definitely a name a 2022 name to keep an eye on uh, we'll probably be talking about him um, a lot in the future uh, but uh, other than that um, not a whole lot of football recruiting going on other than just offers going out right now uh, Daniel Parker Jr according to that one video was like one of the first players that uh, Eli Drinkwitz met when he started talking to the guys. And that was kind of a cool thing to catch on video was him just, he was like going up to players. uh, What's your name? What's your position? Yeah. (laughs) And Daniel Parker Jr. was one of the very first guys to get a handshake from him. Yeah. It's like, Oh, tight end. Okay. We're going to be friends. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of football though, um, it looks like we're really, really close to an official announcement that Mizzou and Kansas are going to be playing um, in a series again. I think they've been talking about a four-game series. 
uh, there was, you know, word of this a while back that this was, you know, in the works, you know, obviously they finalized things on the basketball side, but um, yeah, that's awesome. Border war is, is coming back in full force. And, you know, if you'd asked me about this two, three years ago, you know, it did not look good. Like it did not look like Missouri and Kansas were very close to playing each other outside of, you know, tournaments uh, in um, non-revenue sports. So, you know, this is great news in my opinion. Um, yeah. After, I think after that showdown for relief, uh, speaking of videos that I've watched on YouTube a million times uh, <laughs> and they saw just like how energized the fan bases were, the coaches, um, the administrations of both schools had to look at that and be like, what are we doing? Like, wh why are we not trying to make this happen? Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's conjecture on my part. I don't know if that was actually the catalyst, but it probably didn't hurt just seeing how energized the fan bases were for that game. Yeah, I mean, sports are ultimately entertainment for the majority of people. Um, and what there's not many more things that are, are more entertaining than seeing a, a big rivalry renewed. And, uh, you know, Missouri's going to play Kansas in basketball next year. And they're going to play Kansas in, in football and Illinois in football. And I just don't – I agree with you. I don't really see why you wouldn't do that um, just because those kind of games just generate so much hype and um, – and probably money too. So uh, yeah, why not? Playing Kansas and Illinois in football every year, but still being in the SEC is like best case scenario yeah. imaginable for Missouri. Yeah. Especially if uh, we can win the majority of those games, it's definitely best case scenario. And, you know, especially the Illinois games are like really far in the future. So who knows how good the yeah. teams will be then, but uh it seems likely that Missouri will remain the best program of those three, at least in football for sure. Yeah. Illinois has got some things going on. Uh, Kansas honestly has some things going on. They freaking hired less miles. So you never know, <laughs> but I don't know. It'd be, it'd be weird to see like a meaningful game being played by those two. And, and we'll see, you know, how the schedules actually get sorted out. If we're looking at a really early season matchup or, you know, I would hope that, you know, my perfect schedule would see the Illinois game sort of as the big kickoff to the season, like it was traditionally. And then the Kansas game being that late season rivalry game, like, you know, Georgia, Georgia Tech, um, South Carolina, Clemson, mm -hmm. Kentucky, Louisville, those are always late season matchups. Um, so that's what I would hope to see anyway. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also wonder if I would just want Kansas at the beginning of the schedule because, I don't know, just less less time to make preconceived notions about them. And so you just, like, you don't sleep on them, you know, a little bit. If they're at the end of the year, then maybe you already know the, your outlook for the season. And, like, maybe you're having, like, a disappointing – maybe if you're Missouri, you're having a disappointing season. And, like – you're just not as hyped as you were at the beginning of the year and you don't take that game as seriously. Like that's just a game. Like I don't care what kind of season we're having. Like I just want to beat Kansas. Like, yeah, no matter how good or bad we are, like we have to win that game. But well, see, I, I'm envisioning a situation where Missouri's like got 10 wins under their belt <laughs> and or, or nine wins under belt trying to get that 10th win maybe. And Kansas is, you know, right there. Uh, they're, they're at five wins. They're trying to get bowl eligible. And, you know, we just shut them out and they, they don't go to a bowl and Missouri, 
you know, is set up to, you know, be right there in the SEC East race. So that's, that's the situation that I'm envisioning. Man, I wish that uh, Missouri performed more like your uh, scenarios in your mind because we would they would be a fantastic program. <laughs> We're not too far removed from something similar to that. I mean, we can get back there. That's, love, that's what I keeps love your me optimism. going. That's what keeps me going. Oh, man. Uh, border war. Any other news? Um, I don't think so. You thought you could go a week without Josh Christopher news, but you were mistaken. Um, it seems like the the basketball media department is just really, you know, they've gone into off-season mode, but there's something a little unique about it maybe. They're, I don't know if they're just trying to fill the void a little bit, but I saw also a, a little interview with Jeremiah Tillman where he was just talking about his decision to come to Missouri and his relationship with Coach Martin and then, they also published a Kobe Brown, like, uh, year one in the books sort of video. Um, Conzo was on social media heaping praise on Xavier Pinson and talking about how bright of a future he has. And I don't know if that's just, you know, recruiting season social media help or, or what, but I don't know, just trying to get those positive vibes out there surrounding the basketball team. Um, it is interesting. Nice like just in this whole coronavirus situation, just in sports in general, uh, just with everything coming to a screeching halt and people just kind of looking for content and stuff like that, it's really like given us time to just kind of reflect on all the sports that's happened, you know, in the last few years. And I don't know, it's kind of given us some time to just catch our breath. And we're not, for once, we're not like thinking about like the immediacy of sports or, or the next couple of months. We're almost looking, we're just taking some time to look back. And, you know, I've seen a lot of reruns of different stuff on, on ESPN or, or whatever it is. I've watched a lot of, you know, just older footage of stuff I've never seen before. And it's kind of cool. And yeah, they uh, published that uh, 1993 basketball game that triple overtime, I think, uh, I, I think it was Missouri, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I watched a little bit of that and it was weird see, hearing uh, Joe Buck and John Sunvold calling the game. Like, wow, that's, I would take that, you know, any day of the week for a Mizzou calling a Mizzou game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting time, but uh, I'm I'm glad that you know we've been able to fill the void with uh, some good memories of of things that happened in the past and stuff like that. So there, I'm, there's just endless content of of reruns and and stuff like that. So I'm sure that that has something to do with it. Why they're just kind of reflecting on this past season and stuff like that. But. So you mentioned good memories and reruns. Uh, there was a Twitter user. I'm gonna try to find them real quick that, to be honest with you, brought up some uh, less than great memories uh, from Mizzou basketball past. And uh, producer Cameron, I sent, or Kyle sent you uh, an image here. This guy's name is Aaron Pinkerton. That's where you originally saw it, right? Kyle was on this guy's Twitter. Mm -hmm. At Aaron Pinkerton on Twitter, he tagged a bunch of uh, media, Mizzou media folks, and posted this image. If you've been on social media at all in the last week or so, you've seen this, uh, you can only pick three meme uh, challenge image thing uh, with all different categories and jokes and things. But this was kind of a Mizzou transfer slash dismissal uh, (laughs) edition uh, from a two-year period. And there it is. 
hopefully everybody can see. If you're on YouTube, you, you can uh, see this uh, nicely. And I'll just uh, go over it real quick for the audio listeners. Um, so we've got nine players here. And they are Willie Jackson, Cam. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Beadshide. Beadshide. I'm not 100% uh, sure. Frankie Hughes, D'Angelo Allen, Torin Jones, KJ Walton, Naaman Wright, Jakeenan Gant, and Tremaine Isabel. Not dissimilar from this poster I have behind me. I kept it up for a second week in a row because uh, we were going to be talking about these players. So, um, I don't know. What, what are your, before we do like the uh, post says and pick three, what are your thoughts when you see this image, Kyle? Uh, Man, this is really bringing back some memories. And like you said, not necessarily good ones. Um, So much hope in this photo. And it's just, it all turned out so terribly. And, you know, some of these guys left Mizzou and they did great things. And some of these guys fell off the face of the earth. And I literally haven't heard their name ever since they left. Um, And... You know, Cam Beachhead, it was like, I almost didn't even, he was like the one on this list that I was like, I'm not 100% sure who that is um, because he never really even played for Missouri, I don't think. Very, uh, I don't know if he ever played a game. No, he didn't. But, um, th- yeah, this was wild, honestly, <laughs> and just kind of brought up some, some memories I had not thought about in a long time. Yeah, I remember uh, when he transferred to Missouri from Notre Dame, I can't even remember if he had a little stop off at a, a Juco or something in between. I think he came straight from Notre Dame, though. Um, that was during the Frank Haith to Kim Anderson transition. And then he, the way I understand it is he was dismissed from the team before ever suiting up. So this image is him in practice. <laughs> you see uh, Naaman Wright and Keanu Post there, I think, with him. And that's like one of the only images you'll ever see of him, you know, associated with Mizzou. So that's a, definitely a weird one to see. Everybody else is actually in uniform at least. Well, I mean, I had some high hopes for all of these guys uh, for the most part, but I mean, yeah, a, a guy who is, I think a St. Louis native CBC and then went to Notre Dame. So, you know, he, I mean, he was a top high school player. I mean, he was very well regarded, uh, was decent at Notre Dame. He wasn't, you know, he probably didn't get the playing time he thought he, he deserved or or whatever. But, you know, he still performed decently at times at Notre Dame. I really thought that this guy was going to be like the savior of our program, never plays a game. And then yeah, it, had, to... it had kind of those Jordan Barnett vibes where yeah. you're like, okay, Missouri guy, St. Louis. Well, maybe I'm actually confusing uh, the two, actually, because Jordan Barnett went to CBC. I yeah, don't actually I know where Cam went. I'm not 100% I, sure I would have either. to look that up. I think I'm confusing the two, but yes, similar vibes as far as like, okay, a guy coming home, you know, he kind of maybe, maybe the fans thought he big timed uh, Mizzou during his original recruitment, but maybe he was humbled a little bit and came back and wanted to prove himself for the hometown fans. <laughs> but yeah, nothing, nothing ever happened. Yeah. I, I honestly, I just like, when I have like pessimistic views about Missouri athletics or specifically Missouri basketball, and someone asks me who hurt you, I just show them this photo because there's just I, I just can't I can't get over like how how much time I spent just like daydreaming about like these guys just like taking Missouri to 
uh, an NCAA tournament. And like, I don't know this so this guy failure. in the middle. This guy in the middle had a lot to do with it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can solely put it on. You're, these nine, I mean, you're right. You're, you're right. Nine folks here, but it still had a lot to do with it. Also, I did the math, and these nine players played a combined thirteen seasons of their eligibility in a Mizzou uniform. So that's obviously zero for uh, for Cam, and then one each for Frankie Hughes and uh, help me out, his teammate from Ohio. Oh, Willie Jackson. Yeah, Willie Jackson. Uh, one for Torin Jones, and then actually two each for the rest of the guys here. So, mm-hmm. but. And I think a, a common error that people were making on Twitter and understandably Frankie Hughes, uh, number three there, like he looked a little bit like J3 actually, uh, Jonathan Williams, the third, just because they have the same number and, uh, I guess somewhat similar builds. Um, but that's, that's definitely not Jonathan Williams, the third, because uh, that would have been a, probably a little bit too easy for this. Yeah, but, Jonathan Williams, um, uh, one of the best careers of anybody that has ever played at Mizzou and then transferred away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he was one of the first three guys that we did um, Mizzou basketball. Where are they now? Because he was fresh off a uh, Final Four appearance with Gonzaga and a little bit of like a 10-day contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. So Yeah. And think about the recruiting class that had almost half of these guys in the same class. D'Angelo Allen and Naaman Wright, Jaquin and Gant, Jermaine Isabel, all four of those guys, I'm pretty sure, were in the same class along with Techie Gil Caesar. Yeah. And, yeah. man, that's and crazy. They, none of them played more than two seasons. No. So the the instructions are to pick three. Now, before we do that, I think we should – clarify what exactly we're what is our criteria for picking three are we are you wanting to pick the three that you just wish would have stayed and continued their career at Missouri uh the three I don't know are you looking at what they went on to do and basing your decision off of that uh I don't know like or uh, yeah I would say either pick three that you hoped stayed or pick three. If you're, if you've starting a team right now, what three do you want to be on the team, which would probably consider everything they've done. So if we're looking at like the three that I would most want on the Mizzou basketball team in their prime, like if I'm making a one year run and I want three of these guys in their prime, I'm taking Torin Jones, Jakeen and Gant, and Willie Jackson, and that's my front court. And then I need some, you know, pair those guys with Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson. I'll take that as the starting five. Yeah, I think really in any scenario – Jakeen and Gant's kind of a non-negotiable, I would think. I'm thinking, you know, he went on to have a really, really strong college career after he left Missouri. Yeah, Um, all-conference player. Yeah, Uh, and Torrin Jones, you know, he he had an interesting career. He was kind of raw at Missouri, but, you know, went down to some lower levels of college basketball and was just an absolute monster. Um, 
tough to know what he would have done at the power five level if he stayed, but definitely uh, no arguments there for me. But, uh, you know, I think I really like Jermaine Isabel. I think he is a guy I would probably would have picked um, of from my three just because, you know, again, and maybe I'm thinking too much about what they did after they left Missouri, but um, he, he went on to have a very strong career. He was a massive scoring threat at, like Duquesne or something. I don't they know. They went exactly. to Drexel, Drexel, and, then, that's and then ended up at St. Louis for a season. Yeah. So th- I would say that would probably be my three is, is Jaquin and Gant, Tremaine Isabel, and probably Torn Jones. Yeah. It. I mean, just to go back to Cam Beach, right, it would be, it would just be so interesting to see what he would have done with a season at Missouri. I don't know if he had two years of eligibility, but even just one season, you know, it's just, we don't really know. He, I don't think he ever, we ever saw what he could have been at his peak as a college basketball player. Um, and that's true of several of these guys, honestly. Uh, Naaman Wright went to Colorado. Uh, KJ Walton went to Ball State. Um, D'Angelo Allen, I don't think, ended up anywhere. Um, but one of the reasons I picked Willie Jackson is because he went to Toledo. And he had an incredibly solid all, you know, I don't think he, I don't know if he was named to an all-conference team, um, but he had that type of season his senior year and was just the kind of like rebounding, efficient scoring machine down low and in the mid-range that it seemed like from day one, you could project that for him at Missouri as well. Yeah, I could see that. <clears throat> he was maybe like a little bit undersized to be super effective um, as kind of a forward, at least maybe at the, the top of college basketball. But yeah, I mean, certainly you could see something in him there in his freshman year at Missouri. And like he was just from his high school tapes and stuff, you could definitely see how he could carve out a role. Um, Frankie Hughes was kind of a, an interesting trajectory. You know, he uh, was a pretty highly recruited guy coming out of high school and then started super hot at Missouri. Um, like his first few games, he scored like 20 points in, you know, in each of the first few games. And he was just shot the ball really well and then just kind of tapered off. And um, I think he was the guy maybe that spent some time at Duquesne. At I one think point. you're right. But yeah. And he actually finished his uh, freshman year off on a high note. I think this was the Auburn game in the SEC tournament uh, where Kevin Prayer hit the game winner. But before that, uh, that was in overtime, I believe. Uh, Frankie Hughes hit some huge threes uh, to keep him in it late. And it, if it weren't for him, then that Kevin Perrier never has the opportunity to hit the game winner. So I remember him having a pretty strong just tail end to the season as well, specifically in that Auburn game. Yeah. 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 Uh... Naaman Wright was a guy that I might have had the highest hopes for highest hopes for out of anybody honestly I for some reason just really liked him as a recruit coming out of high school and um he had a I huge just, game when Missouri upset Florida yeah yeah he that was probably his most notable game for sure in Missouri uniform but uh just never quite uh blossomed in the way that I thought he might but yeah, this is this is interesting, and I I really love these these pick three memes. They're really fun. Um, 
but this is good way to pass the time truly something special here (laughs) yeah maybe we'll uh, have to do something similar with uh you know we've talked about maybe picking an all decade team or something like that from from mizzou basketball or something like that but it's always fun to uh to revisit some old memories of of mizzou sports yeah i do want to mention torin jones because i like i said i was deep in the rabbit hole of uh watching old highlight uh videos on youtube and he had a game I can't remember who it was against, but it was his freshman season. Obviously, Frank Haith was still the coach. And he had a monster uh, block on one end of the floor where he just sent it back and then a huge dunk on the other end. I can't remember which one came first, but he had a you know a little exchange there where it was like, okay, he just showcased his athleticism. And, oh, yeah. you know, obviously it was off the charts. And you mentioned how raw he was. But, man, that's a – that's a what if that tornado yeah that's a what if that i wish we could have seen you know yeah obviously he had some off the court issues and um bounced around from a couple programs after the fact we talked about him in one of our uh mizzou basketball where are they now but just from a raw physical standpoint he was one of the most just physically gifted guys that's come through the program i think yeah athletically at least for sure well, Kyle, you got anything else uh, for the folks this week? Appreciate uh, uh, the gentleman that posted that, letting us all think about. And and kudos to him, too, for, you know, just picking the perfect nine guys to just really, really – I mean, like you said, if you put J3 in there, if you put Techie in there, it's it's maybe too easy to just pick those guys as ones that you want to see what they could have done. But those nine were, were the perfect choices. Yeah, it it scares me a little bit about, uh, you know, thinking about Trey Jackson and thinking about some of those guys who are just probably right on the cusp of having like a breakout year uh, at Missouri and then they leave to go somewhere else and end up having their breakout year somewhere else. Um, you know, I wish the best for Trey Jackson, but it would also sting a little bit to see him go blow up somewhere else, which is we've just seen that time after time. So I can deal with it as long as there's not nine in a two year span. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're nine right. plus like 13 in a three year span. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, hope you guys are continuing to uh, stay healthy and, and hang in there. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back in the studio sometime in the foreseeable future. But uh, we're making Maybe it work 2022. for now. Yeah, we're 2022 recruits to uh, get back in the get back in the studio. So, uh, but I think that's all I have. Uh, you can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube. We're on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. I think it is time to do that all decade team. So maybe we'll work on that for next week. Sounds good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week.